NPR Again is brought to you in part by Angie's Hit List. Be it flashy cartel-style killings, cold-blooded executions, or make it look like an accident, when Angie's on the job, you've got nothing to worry about. Unless, of course, you too are on Angie's Hit List. And remember, by the first tap, get the double tap for free. You're listening to NPR Again, National Post-Apocalyptic Radio. If you want hard-hitting news, we will smack the shit out of you. From NPR Mageddon in Los Angeles, I am Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley. Joy of an unfettered nature and plenty of it. That is what we are witnessing in the streets of Los Angeles today as Angelinos celebrate former President Skogor's hasty departure. History is in the making, and we've made sure that the NPR Mageddon team is right in the middle of it, delivering all the day's news in rapid-fire, easily digestible chunks. It's a new lightning-fast roundup we like to call News in the Round. News in the Round. Okay, this is going to come hard and fast, listeners, so buckle up. You wanted your news in three-second chunks? You got it. Natalie Watchin in downtown, what do you have for us? The scene here is, in a word, euphoric. I have never seen such an outpouring of... Jackson Lansing, Culver City, you're on. Oh, we're live? Uh, jubilation in the streets, Brian. Old news, I need a fresh angle. Colin Kelly, Midtown, bring it hard and fast and nothing about joy. We already have that, go. Um... You were going to say jubilation in the streets, weren't you? Well, no, um, happiness all over the roadways, here... Uh, you know... Cameron Dean, Panorama City, what's going on there? Throngs of jubilant citizens have packed the boulevard here expressing their joy and excitement. And? And, uh, happiness is covering the roadways. Back to Natalie Watchen, downtown. Me? Give us the latest. What's your three-second soundbite? The celebration continues here in downtown as jubilant throngs descend on downtown. Got it. Colin Kelly, Midtown. Are you bringing the thunder or going down in flames? Go. I have a new angle. The owner of a hot dog is with me. Owner of a hot dog? You mean the owner of a hot dog stand? No, just a hot dog. Uh, Better than nothing. Get him on. Hot dog man, state your feelings about President Skogor's departure in four words or less. It's the most that some of our addle-brained listeners can possibly bear. I, um... I am uh, happy now? Colin Kelly, post-interview analysis. Just the meat, not the filler. Well, he's clearly happy. Would you say he's jubilant? I would! Back to Jackson Lansing, Culver City. Are you with us, man? Yes, yes! Good. A vocal minority of our listeners demand that their news be delivered in short, punchy bursts, Jackson. Thus, sum up the sentiment there in two nonverbal vocalizations and seven words. Uh, um, things here are jubilant. Crowd in streets. Cameron Dean, Panorama City. One word to describe the scene there and do not say jubilant. Uh, uh, excitedness. Natalie Watchin, downtown. Grunt for us. Just grunt, woman. (laughs) Cameron Dean, your real-time rapid-fire reaction to Natalie's grunting. I don't want to do this anymore, Brian! Good. Now, listeners, I hope you'll agree that I've proved my point. A few of you, very few of you, have called in to complain that our stories are too long and drawn out, that we quote-unquote drone on and on, and that NPR-mageddon is flat-out boring because you can't pay attention for three seconds before fidgeting in your seat. 
I say, to hell with you. That's what I say. To hell with you. Now, I believe that the vast and silent majority of our listenership is engaged, they're intelligent, and they're willing to take the time to understand a story from all angles. Let me put this in perspective. We are now dealing with the historic ouster of a sitting president and the type of relief and freedom we haven't seen in a generation. And you know what? So what? None of it matters if our coverage of it is denigrated and mocked. Was that news in the round silliness the kind of coverage you wanted to hear? Was it, huh? Then I suggest you turn the dial about 90 degrees to our competitors where you can jerk off to filthy three-minute erotica stories. Is that what you want? Are you all animals? Now, if we're prepared to act like civilized adults, we'll proceed with npr Mageddon at the same high quality and depth of coverage you've come to expect and to love. Thank you so much for your listenership. News in the round. Flying serpents have been spotted coming in from the high desert, attacking anything that moves. And you know what that means. It's kite fishing season! Kite flyers and kite lovers have come together in the ruins of the Hollywood Hills, showing off handmade kites and competing to see who can reel in the biggest catch. NPR McGinn's Lamar Harris has more. I'm here in the Hollywood Hills with master kite fisherman Bud Watson, and he's going to show me the ropes. Thanks for having me, Bud. Yep. So tell me, what's your secret for catching the really big flying serpents? It comes down to two things. And what's that? First thing, you need a really flashy kite like this one. That's a giant kite. If you want to catch the big ones, you're going to need a big kite. It's got to have that wow factor. I'm not going to do this justice, so I think you should give the folks listening just a sense of the kite I'm holding. What are these spinny things called? Spinners. Right, and these blinking lights. Blinkers. Fantastic. And this large hook does what exactly? It hooks things. I love it. I see that flock of flying serpents are on their way. Are you ready to take the kite out for a spin? You forgot the second thing you need if you want to go kite fishing. And what's that? The bait. Why don't you hand me that box over there see if we can't get started? Okay. I'm sorry. Are those kittens? Well, they ain't earthworms. Aw. I'm not really comfortable. The trick is that you pull out the fluffiest kitten you can I'm find. I'm kind of a cat person. Because the flying serpents are not only lured in by the flashy kites, but also by kitten screams. Um, give me that box. What are you doing? You're not hurting the kittens. Hey, come back here with my bait. I'm sorry, listeners. I was not aware of the grim truths of kite fishing. As a cat lover, I could not stand idly by and... It appears some flying serpents are going above me for some reason. They're after the kittens! Drop the bait! I won't abandon them! Be quiet, little kitties. No! No! Well, the tale of the tape is pretty clear on this one. Lamar did not survive. 
He was known for reporting cute human interest stories and puff pieces. So this is like a double shock that he went out this way. So horribly. Just grisly, tendon-ripping, lip-smacking stuff. We're also told that despite Lamar's best efforts, all the kittens died too. Crying is not just for the weak. Crying is a natural process and a healthy outlet for expressing grief or sadness. Crying also happens when expressing physical pain and when pleading for your life when at knife point. That said, I mean, do you really want to go out like a namby-pamby, thumb-sucking, whittle-bitty crybaby? Save crying for that stuff I said before and not when you're about to die. I mean, damn, have a little dignity. Thank you. A prominent feature of the former Skullgore administration were his gigantic erections of statues. The free people of Los Angeles want to murder Skullgore for obvious reasons, but now that he's in hiding, they can only murder his statues, which they are now doing. Cub reporter Amy Wolpa has the story. Celebrants are expressing their happiness at President Skullgore's exodus in a very literal way. By symbolically destroying many of the statues that Skolgor had erected of himself here in Hollywood. It may be a figurative act, but it carries plenty of real theoretical meaning, according to the chief organizer of the event, a young man known only as Guitarro. Skolgor treated us like shit, and now we're going to treat his stupid statues like shit. Hell yeah! We've got ropes, chains, Pickups, explosives, and a bunch of pissed off people ready to clean house! Hey, go pick up what's left of your statue, Skullgore! Why are you too scared? Don't want to deal with the people you've hurt and bullied? You're just a cabron! Yeah! A cabron! And you're getting the treatment all cabrons get! Your statues are metal, but we've got our own metal! Heavy metal! <laughs> Guitarro's insistence on playing tasty guitar licks between sentences only further emphasized his seriousness at striking a blow against the former leader. But the metal-on-metal metal action took a turn for the worse when the destruction of the 30-foot statues began. The first to fall was the well-known statue, Skullgore leading his bitches to heaven, located on Cherokee Avenue. You're going down, cabrón! Bring it down! Oh, shit! Oh, oh, shit! Oh, clear out! Hey, clear out! The statue's coming down too fast! A couple on the scene offered up a dramatic theory for why the statue's destruction was so disastrous. It's too big! Much like the shadow that President Skolgor left in our hearts, we are unable to escape it. Okay? I can't help but observe a touch of irony here. In our celebration over Skolgor's oppression, a symbol of that oppression has succeeded in striking the final terrible blow. The statue unexpectedly gave way and crushed 14 people to death. These statues are bullshit. They have no structural integrity. It's like the legs are made out of paper. Skullgore even cut corners on his own statues. Shit. 
Problems plagued the destruction of other statues, such as the behemoth, Skolgor pondering his swag, located on Sunset and Vine. I was standing directly beside Guitarro at the big moment. Yeah, we're standing well away from the statue this time. <laughs> we're keeping it nice and safe. Skolgor is not going to have the last laugh. Hey, let's tear this mother down! <laughs> I asked a nearby couple if destroying these statues offered a sense of closure. It's too late. The noxious fumes have overcome me, but it is as it is supposed to be, for Skorgor's noxious oppression had figuratively killed me long ago. Ooh, bummer. Skolgor yet persists in Lost Angeles, infecting and infesting everything he touches. This toxic cloud is merely the physical manifestation thereof. Luckily, Guitarro and I were far enough away to run, but all told, over 26 people lost their lives to the strange cloud. 27, to be exact. The event certainly led to a dampening of enthusiasm on the part of statue destroyers who came to believe Skolgor had rigged his statues to hurt people. But Guitarro had a different theory. Skolgor didn't rig his statues. It was some weird chemical reaction because of the shitty third hand metal that cobbled together to make the statues. And believe me, I know my metal. The destruction must go on. For the third statue, entitled Skolgor Contemplating His Mastery Over the Booty, Guitarro and event organizers took a different approach. Gas masks, combat armor, assault rifles, reinforced barriers, we got it all. Short of the blood god himself bursting out of that thing, we're going to be okay. Start the destruction! Oh, it's gonna be so metal! Oh, you're going to love it! <laughs> It's full of rats. And cockroaches? It's like a waterfall of nightmares. Run! Run! Unfortunately, the rats and cockroaches started to eat people. Fortunately, I found a chair to stand on to avoid a similar fate. Then I got some tape on one of the couples getting eaten. A hundred rats gnaw my flesh away. Who could have known that Skolgor's viciousness and deceit would be literalized in such a way? Ah! You stupid idiots! Run! Behold! All of Skolgor's lies and secrets are wrapped in symbolic fashion. As these rats rend my flesh, I curse the name of Skolgor. By some estimates, 20,000 rats and cockroaches poured from the broken statue, prompting some people to believe the statues are literally cursed. But Guitarro is not convinced. They're not cursed. They're just rotten from the inside out. Hollowed out to save money. You know, Skogor was such a cheap fucking bastardo. <laughs> 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 Metal. Heavy metal! <laughs> Statue destructions have been halted for the time being, but all of this raises an important question. 
Did Skolgor intentionally rig the statues? Or did he simply cheap out on their construction? At the symbolic intersection of malice and indifference, this is Amy Wolpa, NPR Mageddon. And now, Betatech spokesman Fred Willard, back with more news on how Betatech is making the world a better place. Thank you, Brian. Thrilled to be with you again. I understand that Betatech is actually making inroads into medicine using some very advanced techniques, which I hope aren't completely terrible. That's right. How does 3D printed organs sound? Oh, sounds fancy. But I have no idea what you're talking about. You see, back before the calamity, scientists were perfecting 3D printing where you could literally print useful objects from raw material. Wow, that's not just a legend? Far from. Betatech scientists have not only revived 3D printing technology, we've improved upon it by developing machines which create substitute human organs. Livers, to be exact. That's actually amazing. That could save a lot of lives. Betatech is all heart. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> sure we are. We're curing depression here by tackling alcohol abuse. But what does alcohol abuse have to do with 3D printed livers? Well, my friend, alcohol is most people's way to avoid a case of the Mopey Mondays. But alcohol does take a toll on old Larry Liver. I've never heard it called Larry. Larry or Laura, depending on the gender. Not that there is such a thing, or so they claim. And I'm supposed to believe that Betatech is doing this out of pure altruism? We do turn a little profit on these 3D printed livers, make no mistake. But we also like to think we're making a difference in an awful lot of lives. Well, Fred, I can't do anything but commend you and your organization for this humanitarian endeavor. <clears throat> Grazie. Now, you mentioned raw material earlier. What are these livers made out of? Brian, that's the best part. Our livers are 100% organic, flesh-and-blood human tissue. Nothing synthetic. Fred, how is that possible? The secret's in the sauce. <laughs> we considered plastic and metals, but you know what? Not good enough. That's what our engineers said. Not good enough. Okay, but what is good enough? Human hearts. Oh, my God. Hold on. We found that human hearts make the very best raw material for human livers. So... You need a human heart to make a human liver? Oh, I wish. Right now it takes 12 and a half human hearts to make a liver. Isn't that sad? But we hope to get it down to 11, and we are close. <laughs> Where do these human hearts come from? Well, as you know, Better Tech is very committed to green, sustainable business practices. We repurpose slave hearts from our Echo Lake facility. <sighs> but, but, but why is it just hearts? Can't you use fat or spleens or something less critical? Brian, as I mentioned, Betatech is all heart. So using human hearts, it just made sense. And listen, we could have gotten away with inferior ingredients. As in you could have spared a lot of lives. But that's just not the Betatech way. From where I'm sitting, the Betatech way appears to be human suffering. Hey, tell that to the guy getting a new liver. Mr. Willard, that is sick. You're telling me that 12 and a half lives are worth just as much as a single life of some well-off Betatech customer? Well, no. I think that kind of math is morally reprehensible. All right, so you're saying you don't want this voucher I brought you? Voucher? Voucher for one free liver courtesy of Betatech. It's an outpatient procedure. You'll be in and out in a day, good as new. In and out in a day, huh? You'll barely feel a thing. I get a fresh one every three or four months. It's like an oil change. I don't really need a new one, but boy, I'd hate to have it go to waste. Oh, we wouldn't be wasting anything. It's print on demand. 
Oh, but still, I want a new one. Not just new, Brian. Better. Well, I, the service I provide, I, Voice of Los Angeles and all that, I, I got to keep this motor running in tip-top shape, right? I, uh, but for the record, I don't think other people should be doing this. I respect that. I'll have my people set it up. Thanks for coming in, Fred, and huh, thanks for the voucher. Yeah. In sports-related news, Hyland LaBrea, one of the most overrated yet mysteriously popular players in dogball, announced yesterday that he has received a new contract. And by contract, I mean that he has contract-ed rabies. Lacey Harmon has more. Speaking in composed, straightforward terms, LaBrea said at a news conference last night that he has been infected with rabies. The Bazalza Zinga has always been an aggressive player. But now that the Bazazazinga has been given the gift of the rabies, Bazazazinga thinks Bazazazinga will be able to realize the Bazazazinga's full potential. Because, you know, anger. His personal physician, Dr. Naomi Castro, said that although La Brea is healthy now, the rabies will make him super awesome. Normally, rabies have adverse effects on cognitive functions. But according to the tests we ran on Highland, his intelligence has not diminished whatsoever. And why do you think that is? Well, it's not like he was the sharpest knife in the drawer to begin with. What do you mean? I mean, he's not the brightest bulb in the box. Huh? He's a few cards short of a deck. Okay. He has the IQ of room temperature. Do you mean to say that because he wasn't very smart in the first place, the resultant diminished intelligence from his condition doesn't meet the threshold for being noticeable? Yes, he's dumber than a box of hair. That's pretty dumb. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, kinda, but you got all fancy with it. Just because you're a doctor doesn't give you the right to talk down to me, and if you disagree, I'd say you were a few sandwiches short of a picnic. I hate you. I noticed. Uppity doctors aside, what do Highland LaBrea's fans have to say? Highland LaBrea is my idol, and if he says rabies makes you a better person, then sign me up. I think he's really hot. He can give me rabies anytime. Dogball Commissioner Jerry East said that the news came as a welcome surprise. Obviously, this is fantastic news for us from a professional standpoint. I mean, just think of the merchandising possibilities. With all this increased rabies awareness, we'll be able to sell vials of his rabies-infected spit at premium prices. Anybody can contract run-of-the-mill rabies, but rabies coming directly from a star athlete? They'll be foaming at the mouth. Following this news, experts predict a surge of rabies cases are on the horizon. But will rabies fever supercharge Los Angeles' already fanatical love of dog ball? Or will it prove to be just a passing fad? In either case, the fan base is sure to be, well, rabid. Lacey Harmon, NPR Maget. And now a special message from the Blood Pope. People of Los Angeles, heed my call. Suffering from high blood pressure? Why did you let your blood build up so high, huh? But you don't have to suffer alone. The Blood Church offers free bloodletting sessions. Yes, free! To any and all with an excess of beautiful, delicious blood in their bodies. Suffering from tuberculosis, jaundice, bone fever? All can be cured with bloodletting! 
Sign up today to get your free Power of the Blood tote bag. Remember, if your head feels light, you're doing it right. Now, get out there and help us take over the world. <laughs> Far in our past, humans used airplanes to fly across vast expanses in the skies above. Most of this technology is unfortunately lost to us, and what little we do have is indecipherable. But one man might hold the lost key to human flight. We go live to NPR Mageddon's Cameron Dean for more. How does it look out there, Cameron? Well, Brian, a small crowd of onlookers gather on the tarmac of LAX. LAX is a sacred place where, legend has it, humans would take to the skies in pre-calamity aeroplanes to jet off to parts unknown. It's a fitting place for inventor Sam Langley to unveil his new flying machine, and the anticipation is palpable. Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Can you tell me why you've decided to come out here today? I'm hoping for an explosion. I love me good explosions. But wouldn't it be better if this new flying machine worked? No. Okay. And how about you, miss? Are you excited about the idea of human flight? I don't know what you're talking about. That's why we're all here, to see if this new invention will usher in a new mode of transportation. So there won't be an explosion? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe. Good! I love explosions! Everybody, it seems, is really looking forward to today's test flight, even if their reasons are less than savory. It seems that inventor Sam Langley is ready to address the crowd. He's stepping to the podium wearing goggles on his head and his trademarked handlebar mustache. Let's listen in. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you all for coming out to witness history in the making. I bring you a most fantastical, a most monumental, a most astronomical invention, the Langley Aeronautical Automobile. Blabbity blah blah, get to the damn explosion, come on. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there will be no explosions today. My flying machine does not rely on a crude internal combustion engine or a crass rocket-style propellant. By using ordinary bicycle parts and methamphetamine, I will take flight under my own power. No booing. <laughs> Don't you understand what a stupendous achievement this is? I have cheated the very birds themselves. It seems the crowd has turned on Mr. Langley, but undeterred he has mounted his flying machine. It looks like an orgy of chains, gears, and bamboo. Oh, he's really pedaling his ass off. The, the crowd has grown silent, and it looks like... Yes, he is lifted off the ground and is slowly gaining altitude. I, I'm stunned. It's magnificent. He's done it. He's... I'm an adventurer! I'm a polymath! And off they go. One wonders how they will blow up Sam Langley on such short... Well, there you go. A successful test flight and an explosion to boot. It is unfortunate that the Langley Aeronautical Automobile was completely destroyed by the angry mob, but that's just how it goes sometimes, Brian. You've got to give the people what they want. Don't I know it. That was NPR Armageddon's own Cameron Dean from LAX 
who thought he was reporting on a new age in human aviation, but ended up reporting on an explosion. NPRmageddon is brought to you in part by Euphoria Spray Paint. Sourcing only the most potent aromatic hydrocarbons, Euphoria is only a spray in a plastic sack away. Now available in clear, metallic, and hot topic pink. Euphoria Spray Paint, it's huffastic. It seems whenever there is a regime change, the lack of civil services and the absence of legitimate authority combine to create what we affectionately call looting season. No one knows exactly how long this season lasts, but one thing is for sure, we're in it now. So our resident looting expert, BJ Schwartz, is in studio today to give us a little lesson on looting do's and don'ts. Thanks for coming down. My pleasure, Brian. Proper looting is a topic I am very passionate about. So, why do people loot? Well, looting can be justified in many ways. Uh, Some people feel that if the goods are not stolen, they'll just be wasted. Um, Others think that if they don't steal the goods, they'll just be stolen by someone else anyway. Valid points. Though personally, I think it's just good, clean fun for the whole family. And you bring up a great point. Don't go looting alone. Do form a team. And what better team to have than your own family? Got it. So after you've formed your looting team, what's your next step? Well, as with any endeavor, preparation is the key to success. You have no idea how many people show up to a looting unprepared. So what are the must-haves in a looting kit? Well, certainly a flashlight, a nice big sack, and a trusty crowbar. (laughs) I love me a good crowbar. Right? What's more fun than a crowbar? I don't even know. It's the ultimate urban survival tool. Yeah. yeah. And it is absolutely critical to start looting as soon as possible. The last place that you want to be in the thick of looting season is out with the rest of the looters. It's much more preferable to get your looting done early. So then you can be home finalizing your defense preparations, doing things like setting up barbed wires, firing lines, and booby traps while everyone else is out there just scrounging for canned goods. Great advice as usual, BJ. Is there any room on your looting team for me? (laughs) Sure. Uh, No, BJ, I'm serious. I'm really looking. I I need some loot. Brian, I'm sorry, but you just slow us down. Oh, 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 yeah. It was a rhetorical question. Really? Because that didn't sound like a rhetorical question. It sounded pretty sincere to me. I already have a looting team. Oh, yeah? Who's on it? Oh, you wouldn't know them. They're, They're from out of town. Sure they are. No, you definitely don't know them. Uh, I know you're mostly local, right? Uh, Small time? I've worked with every major looting organization on the West Coast. Try me. Oh, actually, we're out of time. Uh, That was BJ Schwartz with some important tips for the current looting season. Thanks for coming in. Oh, you know what? I'm just checking my schedule, and there might be a space available on my team this weekend after all. Uh, Oh, really? Because I just got a new crowbar, and I know if given half a chance, I could really shine, BJ. But wouldn't your other team miss you? No. I'm sure they'd get by without me. You're pathetic. I know. I know. You're listening to NPR Mageddon, National Post-Apocalyptic Radio. You want news? Be careful what you wish for, baby. And now with our Betatech First Alert traffic update, here's John. If the traffic is smooth or if it's slow, here's the person who's sure to know. Do I 
Santa Monica traffic north of the 10 is at a standstill from the 405 to the Pacific Coast Highway. Of course, with the rampant street-to-street warfare and the large-scale destruction in Santa Monica, the area has largely become a shared space. Shared space? What is a shared space? Shared space is an urban design approach which blurs the line between pedestrians and vehicle traffic. By eliminating curbs, traffic signs, and road markings, vehicle drivers are unsure who has the right of way, and thus speed is reduced. Oh, so that makes everything safer. No. Why not? Don't slower drivers mean fewer people dying? Well, the cars slow down, but then the people in the cars shoot the pedestrians. It's all, it's kind of a wash. Thanks, John. For a political activist allied with a space-based death laser, Hartfisher seems a lot more focused on the good of the people than serving his own ego. NPR McGinn's Peter Podgursky caught up with Fisher to see just what kind of guy he is. Some consider him a terrorist, others a revolutionary. But who is he really? I sat down with Hartfisher for an in-depth interview to see just what kind of guy he is. Hart, thanks for sitting down with me. Sure. Hart, what kind of guy are you? You know, there's been a lot of talk about me in the media and the press, but the simple fact of the matter is, I would say that I'm just a pretty good guy. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, uh, Okay. So there you have it. Hard Fisher, poised to be the next leader of Los Angeles, is a pretty good guy. Peter Podgersky, NPR Mageddon. Oh. Wow. Okay. Um... Peter is joining us in studio now to talk about the interview. Peter, what happened? Yeah, he was a character, wasn't he? There were some tense moments in there. No, I mean, why didn't you ask him more questions? Well, what do you mean? Well, for example, how long will he be in power before he holds elections? Will he hold elections at all? What are his hopes and his dreams for Los Angeles? Yeah, it seems like Hart had a lot of things he wanted to talk about along those lines, too. So why didn't you let him talk about it? Well, I mean, you told me to find out what kind of guy he was after he answered that question. I thought, you know, mission accomplished. So, I mean, not to point the finger of blame or anything, but it's kind of your fault. Well, thank you, Peter, for doing the bare minimum required. My pleasure. (sighs) So... What do we do now? Nothing left to do but end the show. This is Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley reminding you that... And this is Peter Podgersky. Okay, okay, stop. Stop the music. Stop. Do you want to end the show, Peter? You really want to do this? Can I? I don't know. Can you? Okay, okay. This is Peter Podgersky speaking for the whole gang at NPR Armageddon reminding you that... Reminding you that... That bitches ain't shit, but hoes and tricks. See you next time. Stop, stop, stop. That's not the Nietzsche quote. Really? Because that sounds exactly like something Nietzsche would say. Yeah, fair enough. Kind of sounds like him, but no, we're not having this discussion. Just go, Peter. Just go. Now? Yes, you're done. Yeah, well, you're welcome then. This is Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley reminding you that to live is to suffer, to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. I like my quote better! Nobody asked you! 
NPR Mageddon is written and produced by Peter Podgurski and Brian Keithley. Wow, that episode sure sounded good. And it's all thanks to our mixer, Amy Reed. The theme of NPR Mageddon is by Society Burning. Want to be a pop culture pioneer? Want to be in the vanguard? Then hop over to nprmageddon.etsy.com and buy something. We'll both be enriched. What a win-win. Want to share your thoughts? Your deepest, darkest thoughts? Well, our email is info at nprmageddon.com and our phone number is 213-437-9506. You know what to do. I just heard the meanest episode ever. And frankly, I could not stop laughing. That was very neat. And just wanted to say that I absolutely loved it. Hart D. Fisher released his very own limited edition Hart D. Fisher NPR Armageddon t-shirt, which, if you think about it, is a very Hart D. Fisher thing to do. Check it out at AmericanHorrors.net. Catch the latest, greatest updates and see what all the hoopla is about by following us on Twitter at NPArmageddon. Without further ado, here's the full cast of Episode 8, Fall of Skullgore. Jello Biafra, Amy Landon, Brian Keithley, Natalie Wachen, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, Cameron Dean, Jeffrey Peterson, Lamar Harris, Tayzon Day, Amy Walpa, Zach Via, Kelsey Gunn, Michael Ruzelay, Fred Willard, Lacey Harmon, Christopher Bruce, Naomi Castro, Jesse Millward, Erica Ishii, Neil Brown, Barbara Goodson, Miriam Bourbon, Heath Corson, BJ Schwartz, John Delancey, Peter Podgerski, and Hart D. Fisher. The NPR Mageddon community continues to grow, and dare I say flourish, and every day we seem to be hitting a new number or milestone in our strange post-apocalyptic journey. So, seriously, we appreciate you riding shotgun, and once again, thanks for listening! Next time on NP Armageddon, all across Los Angeles, ear mice are exploding. Blam! Blood City! Population me! Former longtime host of the show, Tommy L., returns to the airwaves. Radio is life, ladies and gentlemen. And life is good. And Dogball star Highland La Brea has contracted rabies? No, 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 no. Ah, fighting me! Ah! Plus a profile of the Pope Mobile and traffic. It's quite holy. Featuring the voice talents of John Delancey, Jeffrey Peterson, Barbara Goodson, Betsy Baker, Lacey Harmon, Colin Kelly, Hart D. Fisher, and many others. All this and more in NPR Armageddon, Episode 9. Mouse blood is thicker than wine.